Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, and Ernie Furt is with me today, standing in for Michael Newton while sitting, actually. Hello, Ernie. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you? Well. You chose a really great show to fill in for Mike, uh, because we have, really, uh, one of the most successful entrepreneurs you can find in Quebec right now, Dax Da Silva, on the program today. Yeah, I hope he'll be interesting. He, he might be. I think he might be. Uh, he started out um, with his own Mac laptop coding, uh, a point-of-sale system called Lightspeed, uh, bootstrapping a company that went well beyond a billion-dollar valuation now, and he stepped back from his CEO role now as executive chairman. So looking at the bigger picture, and uh, he's going to talk to us about his journey and um, his transition into a whole new different level of entrepreneurship, someone who's really, who's really won, Ernie. And I wonder if that's my, my first question is, you know, as, a, as, as you guys advise entrepreneurs, what is the ultimate goal? You know, is the ultimate goal to go public? Is the ultimate goal to sort of step back and, and into a more chairman role? Um, what, is, what to you is, uh, have you seen as sort of the, the successful culmination of an entrepreneurial career? It all depends on what you want as the entrepreneur. At the end of the day, there's some people who are so driven that they want to make sure that their company goes public. Others are, are, are not as driven and they want to have a successful company. They want to provide for their family, but they don't need the, uh, the, the public company atmosphere. They want to make sure that their company provides things environmentally conscious. They want to, the, you know, it, it depends on the goals of the individual, the individual entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur is different, as we've seen on this show for many years. And Dax Da Silva of Lightspeed certainly one that has really gone so far beyond uh, what uh, what most entrepreneurs would have expected of, of him or of anyone really. I mean, uh, to bootstrap a you know a company worth billions is, is really quite extraordinary. So we'll talk to him in a few minutes. Um, but as usual, some news and notes, Ernie, and this from Inc.com. In love with business. So these are lessons from co-founder couples. And uh, you, you guys have so many uh, family businesses um, under your wing. What are your thoughts on, on sort of basic advice to, uh, to couple partners? Couple partners are very interesting. They're just like regular partners in a business at the end of the day, except they go home with each other at night. So, you know, they have the same kind of, a chance of success, same kind of chance of failure, maybe a little bit more on the failure side, uh, because sometimes you just can't leave the business at the office and the business just, you know, permeates your, uh, your personal life as well. So you need some checks and balances between uh, between the office and home. And you've got to have a synergy between the, uh, between the couples. And if there's no synergy, it's not going to work. What about taking work home? Um, different perspectives on this. We've had entrepreneurs that say there's a hard rule. We don't take the work at home and others that say, no, we kind of do. And we talk about it at the breakfast table or, uh, or at the dinner table. What, what are your thoughts? Once again, it depends on the relationship, you know, because everything starts with the relationship. It depends, you know, how you function together and, it, and what kind of downtime each of the individuals need. Because if you need that downtime and your spouse doesn't need the downtime and you're sitting there yakking in your spouse's ear about the business, this, your spouse doesn't want to necessarily hear that at, the, at 10 o'clock at night and wants to just relax and watch some TV. Uh, but everybody's different. That's why we have so many different businesses and so many different thoughts. And, uh, and that's what makes the world great. This story is uh, also kind of interesting um, from Fast Company. The seven expressions that managers should avoid using. One of them is, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. Another is, it's company policy. Um, I know we promised this to you, but 
What, what are some of those phrases that you would avoid? Yeah, sorry, I changed my mind is another one. Uh, I need you in this role. I want you to stay in the, your current job. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be a helicopter boss and copy me on everything that you do. You know, that just kind of shows that you don't trust the employee um, to a certain extent. You know, saying I didn't say it, I didn't say that. You got to elaborate on things and, and, and make sure that, you know, your employee understands what's going on. And, you know, you, you make a promise sometimes, but you can't always keep it. Why can't you keep it? You know, you apologize for not being able to keep it, but, you know, work with the employee to say when you can actually make that promise again. This from Human Resources Director Magazine, eight trending employee benefits and perks in 2022. Certainly taking care of your workforce is, uh, is one major trend uh, that's inescapable, and employers should be considering uh, that, new, new ways to, to offer benefits and perks, frankly, to your employees. You've got to differentiate yourself. If you, everybody offers your standard pension plans to a certain extent. They offer group health insurance. Uh, some places offer cars. You know, how many places offer pet insurance or days off with your pet? These are things that, are, that, that people are looking for. Increased flexibility. We've had that for the past couple of years, but people are still looking for that flexibility, even if we're coming out of the pandemic. They want to make sure that, okay, now everybody has to come to the office. Too bad for you. Well, I really would like to stay home a day or two a week. So it's something that you have to have a discussion with your employee and make them feel at home. You know, you have remote technology reimbursements also, which we've been doing over the course of time. We've set people up at their at their houses in the same manner they're set up here. It's plug and play. So it's a fantastic thing, but you gotta support your employees because your employees are there to, to, to help you run your business and help you make money at the end of the day. This piece from entrepreneur.com on diversity. So how to build a diverse workforce in a meaningful way. Um, some tips they offer is opening doors requires opening minds. So just communicate to your workforce that how that, that you are open-minded. Uh, communicate this across all generations. Uh, talk about people's background and upbringing sometimes in the workplace. What, what do you make of, um, of ways to encourage a more diverse workforce? Uh, certainly as, as uh, we, we look for uh, more and more competitive employees. At the end of the day, it, it, it starts from the top, and it can't be token. I'll ha- I, you know, we'll have a few people of this ethnicity, we'll have a few people of this culture, you know, we'll have a few people of this age, and we'll have a bunch of younger people. So everybody has to work together. You have to bring all these people together in one environment that creates the culture for the environment that you're in in the workplace. You know, you can't ignore all those things. And and, and you have to focus, you know, with leadership by example. So it has to come from the top. Um, You know, different types of personalities. You have people who are very quiet. You have people who are very gregarious. And you can't build a place with a whole bunch of quiet people, nor a whole bunch of gregarious people. Let's talk some marketing now from entrepreneur.com. 10 small business marketing strategies that actually work. Um, cold calling, cold emailing is actually one that, uh, that they uh, recommend. Influencers, uh, connecting with local businesses. Uh, what's, what's on your radar? And then I'll share some of my tips too. Know your audience. Who are you talking to? You know, offer incentives and discounts for, for the products and services that you sell. Build a good and cohesive email list. Uh, search option, uh, search engine optimization is amazing. We did that here a few years back. So we get up on Google hit list near the top. So people call us first. And that's phenomenal. 
If you can do that and have that those keyword searches and and that produces you at the end of the day do a lot for your business. Yeah, absolutely. Having your basic web infrastructure is important. And once you do that, once you have a good business card website, at least, maybe then you add a blog, you know, maybe you write on a regular basis. That also helps SEO, search engine optimization. All that means is the more that you write about the topics of interest to you and your your community, uh, the more the search engines will pick it up. So that's a good thing. And the, the other tip that this piece mentions is the newsletter. So incredibly important to collect email addresses whenever possible. Stay in touch with your community. And if you, if you do two things, if you can only do two marketing things a year, website and newsletter, maybe a little social media on the side if you can. At least have the profiles up so people can find your basic info. Um, but those would be the two or three basics, I think. Uh, just make sure that people can, can reach you and that you can reach them. Yeah, but don't make it, don't, don't leave it get old. Always, always look at it, always update it. It's essential because I've seen old websites that, that haven't been changed in years and people just forgot about them. They're kind of like ghost websites. So what we have to do is make sure that the, the, these things are updated constantly and there's good and new information there. Indeed, our, our own website for TNKR is, has been offline for a couple of months because it's being updated and I don't want to have old stuff on it. I don't want to show people new blogs. So if you have one of those blogs where you haven't sort of written a post since 2017 or, uh, you know, maybe maybe since 2019 or even in the last year or so, take it offline. You know, just t- take the blog offline at that point and come back to it when you have time to um, to commit to to sharing your knowledge a little bit. But it's uh, it's essential that you you keep things fresh whenever possible. Okay, and lastly, Ernie from Entrepreneur.com. Four smart ways maps can help your business keep its social promises. So mapping technology and location intelligence to help you measure the success of your team. Um, what do you think? Is this practical or a little too creepy? It can be creepy. It can be practical. But people want to know if you're socially responsible and you say you're going to plant trees somewhere and you actually show them on your website. I think that's interesting. Uh, because people like to see what you say and, and and make sure that you're not just paying lip service to something, that you're actually doing it. So using tech to at least communicate some metrics, but uh, I'm not sure you want to follow your employees around, though. Ge- geolocation? <laughs> it's not a following the employees. It's, it, it, it's following what you're supposed to be doing. You know, if you want, as an, as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, to aid society, so show where you're aiding society, you know, disaster relief programs. If that's what you're into, show where you're going, show what you're doing so people can actually see it. And, and at the end of the day, you're going to work smarter and, 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 and not harder, which is a common expression that we hear forever. And uh, do what you have to do. Look at your location, serve, serve those markets that are underserved and uh, let people see what you're doing. Yeah, the other um, the other tip for doing good here, which I like, and this speaks to uh, effective altruism and just doing what you're good at. And they, they suggest just focus on your strengths and deliver the services to people who need them. At the end of the day, it's a really good way to, to just give back is to just give away what you're best at. Exactly. Ernie, coming up next, we're going to talk with Dax Da Silva, the founder of Lightspeed. He is uh, really an incredible entrepreneur here in Montreal, someone who built a company from the ground up to become a multi-billion dollar powerhouse. Dax Da Silva is with us. Dax, welcome back to CJD. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, let's just begin at the very most basic level for those that don't know Lightspeed, uh, perhaps for those that haven't been to a cool cafe in Montreal in the last decade. Uh, what is Lightspeed Point of Sale? 
Yeah. So what Lightspeed does, so we're a commerce platform. Um, we, we supply, it's an all-in-one commerce platform. So it's all the tools, technology, um, uh, elements uh, in the cloud uh, that you would need for your retail business or your, uh, or your hospitality business, like a restaurant or a bar or a nightclub. So uh, we do retail and restaurant primarily. There's 160,000 plus uh, retailers and, 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 uh, and restaurants using the, the software all over the world in about 100 different countries. Um, and uh, it's powering something like uh, more than 60 billion in, in transactions uh, every, every year. So um, another part of the business is golf, which is a bit of a combo of retail and hospitality. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really our, um, it's really our segment. And we work with the more complex retailers that are still not the, not the, uh, the big chains, but the, the local businesses that you will see in our neighborhoods, the local chains, um, you know, a bike store or a chain of three bike stores that has, you know, like a few hundred thousand parts in their database of inventory and, and they have a repair shop. That's a ideal like to be customer or a clothing store or a table service restaurant. So we, we serve those customers and we feel like those are the customers that really bring our neighborhoods and our communities to life because they're the independent businesses and they need technology to keep um, to keep competitive. So that's uh, that's what the competitive edge we're giving them with Lightspeed. Ernie, I know you know what Lightspeed is. How how much simpler has your jobs as accountants been lately because of of, of Lightspeed? It, it, you know, you're, they're a one stop one one stop shop. It's very it, it's a very interesting profile. But I, I want to ask Dax a que- a question pertaining to why should a retailer go with you? What 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 are the advantages that they gain? Yeah, so um, I, I think that that getting onto a cloud based system um, that can manage all the elements of a business is is a um, it's almost a necessity. It used to be a nice to have in terms of uh, in terms of what you can do for your business. But it's now with uh, with with the with us you being having to be able to be great in store, but also great online, great on social media in terms of a of a brand, um, and great at managing all the inventory across all these channels. That's what's called omni-channel. And in order to be a successful business, um, you have to be great on all those channels. Uh, and I think that that was put into real um, perspective during the pandemic where uh, businesses that really were, you know, brick and mortar had to very quickly become also um, great at e-commerce. And so managing all of that from one system and in the, re- in the case of a restaurant, it's, you know, you have to be great in, in your restaurant, but also you have to be great at delivery or great at uh, curbside pickup or all of these other, these other, uh, these other channels, managing multiple systems that don't talk to each other um, uh, to do to accomplish that is kind of bad news for a business. You're never going to, you're never going to get ahead of, uh, of the complexity. Uh, and that's what, that's what Lightspeed solves. We know that business is getting more complicated. Uh, it's getting more complicated for that small business owner. There's a lot more elements. Um, and so what we try to do from the very beginning, since we started 17 years ago, actually, it's our, it's our anniversary. Um, uh, we started 2005 is that's been the mission from the beginning is simplifying the complex and, and empowering that business owner, even though they're expected to be uh, more and more tech savvy and more and more on top of all these new trends. And it's just retail has gotten a lot more complex and running a restaurant has gotten a lot more complex. Uh, and that's where we come in. I'm curious, you know, us being an accounting firm, is there anything that you could do for us as an accounting firm? Well, I think that, you know, as an accounting firm, we, um, uh, all the, your, your clients that are running these independent businesses, uh, you know, when they've got uh, they've got an online the online business, they've got uh, in store, they've got maybe multiple locations. Um, 
you, you can be you can rest feel rest assured that their business is being um uh is 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 being run with one system that's using Lightspeed. I think it's much cleaner for the accountant to receive all of that than if they were using multiple systems uh, that weren't uh, that weren't connected. If there are different locations, we're using different systems uh, because before the cloud, there was on-premise systems. You had a you had a server somewhere in your store or in your restaurant, and that didn't talk to anything, uh, and it certainly didn't talk to your online store. It certainly did. They certainly didn't talk to each other. So transferring inventory, moving things around, that was all done very manually. Uh, and so it's the accountant that has to figure it all out at the end of the day. And so it's a lot, it's a lot, probably a lot, um, a lot of time saved for everybody that could be put into, um, you know, planning how to better serve customers, planning a better assortment of inventory, planning, um, you know, planning for the next location. So, you know, we want to take, take their time, make better use of their time, not the, not these details uh, that can be automated with technology. Uh, Dax Da Silva, let's go back to the origin story now of Lightspeed. And this is a bootstrap company. It's not every day we get to talk to uh, a, someone with a net worth that is as impressive as yours who bootstrapped their company. How did this start? How did this all start? I mean, are we talking about you just sort of behind a computer starting to code? Where did the idea come from? And how did you uh, how did you get your first funding? Yeah, so I mean, it started when my father used to bring home a Mac when I, my father was a graphic designer. Um, and brought home a Mac when I was, you know, um, you know, a, a kid. I just got obsessed with the with the, with the the early Mac. It was this this combination of art and and the design and technology that was just, um, you know, there's a lot of artists and designers in our in our family, um, and uh, and so I just I start to learn how to how to how to you know figure this computer out and program. And I and I at the age of 13 I was apprenticing with an Apple developer building software on the Mac. So all through my teens and 20s, I was, uh, I was this uh, very nerdy uh, <laughs> um, uh, programmer and, uh, des- and software designer. But I really did approach it as a, as from, the, from, the, from the viewpoint of building beautiful user interfaces and making things that were, that were complex, simple. So very much what Light to be Dead did. And I did that for a lot of the Apple dealerships um, that uh, were in Vancouver and then Montreal. Um, and, uh, before there was Apple stores, there was like specialized dealerships. Uh, and so that's where my retail exposure comes from. That's where my, where understanding how these complex businesses really work. Um, and then, uh, then realize that there's a need for, um, for business software like this, um, uh, that, that, uh, that as Apple started to really have their comeback, uh, more people wanted to use um, the Mac, the iMac, in their store, um, and as uh, you know, as iPhone and iPad got popular, people wanted to run their stores on on iPads, and so that's how Lightspeed um, got super popular because it wasn't just using Apple hardware in the store; it's, the, it's what Apple represented, which was empowerment. It was uh, you know before you had these these um, these these on premise systems that uh, you, it didn't really give you any information about your business. You you know, you kind of fought with it to run your transactions, but it wasn't telling you about what about how you could build a better business, and it wasn't bringing together all these uh, all these different uh, all these different opportunities and sales channels within your business. So um, we, um, you know, we started in two thousand five. The first couple of years of the company were really magical. I mean, we didn't we didn't take any investment for the first seven years. First two years, I uh, I coded till four in the morning every day, um, fueled by. Uh, French vanilla coffees from Tim Hortons, which is just this deadly this deadly combo of sh- sugar and caffeine. <laughs> so you can you can credit Tim Hortons, <laughs> and uh, and so we I would just code till four in the morning, and, and uh, was in the the first offices in the in the Montreal gay village. 
I had an apartment uh, on the, you know, those classic triplexes on the third floor, and I rented the apartment right below me. That was our, that was the Lightspeed office or Exilva as it was called. And I would just go down the back stairs um, uh, to the, uh, to the, to the office, you know, when I woke up, you know, cause I was coding till four, I'd wake up at like 10 or 11 and then meet the, uh, meet the folks that were, you know, selling and supporting and administrating our little company. And then it just grew from there. You know, we, we grew, um, to about, you know, with no external investment, we grew, um, to about 50 people and about 10 million in uh, revenue. And that's that's uh, that's really when the the next the next part of the journey began. And Dax, uh, you are uh, in the news for a couple of reasons lately, and we'll get to some of your philanthropy as well, um, where this company is going in the future. Uh, but uh, where where you are going in the future? First, you moved recently from CEO to executive chair. Um, usually, this is this is a celebratory moment, right? I mean, is this um, kind of the is this a victory for you to to kind of take a step back and be less involved in operations? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 an amazing moment for both me and JP, our CEO. Um, it's uh, you know you have you have um, the natural progressions in the company. You know, JP has been our president uh, and uh, he's been in, in 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 this role for ten years, um, and uh, you know, we've been leading the company as CEO for seventeen years and. Um, he's taken over more and more of, uh, the, of the elements of the opera of, of, of the day-to-day operations. First he had, you know, sales and marketing and then support and then, uh, and then eventually product. And now as CEO, he's taken on the last pieces, um, HR and finance. And, uh, and so it's, um, it's been something that's been in the planning, um, and, uh, and has obviously gone really smoothly because we, um, we work so, you know, work so well together. We've been such great business partners you know he came into the in, into the company uh but when we got our first investment actually when we've got our that first initial investment from silicon valley is when jp joined and what we've we've really together transformed the future of it was transformed the company created a ton of value and so it's an amazing moment to uh to to um to um actually just to def- redefine our roles. Uh, but actually those are the jobs that we're kind of doing. I'm leading now from the board level. He's leading now the day-to-day company, uh, operations of the company. And I just, uh, and I seek up with him all the time. And as the executive chair, it's a little bit different from chair, from chair, uh, because you're still part of management. You're still part of the company. So it's, um, you're still on the internal systems. And, and, uh, um, I think it's a really great title for a founder because for a founder, you still are connected to, something where you really feel like you're still the soul of it. And, uh, um, and I can help JP and I can help the management team, um, through all the different, uh, through all the different opportunities and challenges that we, we have building this global, you know, this, this global powerhouse. So, uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great moment of evolution. So you're still on the Slack channel then? Yes, I'm, I am still on the Slack channel. Yeah. I just had a zoom with JP. So to, to get a, to get to do our sync up. So it's, uh, uh, it's great, and 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 you know we're bringing on a lot of new board members. We brought in two fantastic women um, to join our our board recently. So I flew, I was in the UK and um, onboarded with Patrick Pichette, our our former chair. Um, uh, you know, two new uh, two new two new members. So you know, we're building out a really board, a really an amazing, a really amazing board that uh, represents our highest aspirations for diversity uh, and inclusion. And and uh, and I also you know I'm so involved with the environment through Age of Union, which we'll talk about. That I want also some of the those ESG sustainability. Um, I'm leading those those efforts for Lightspeed um, and some of our uh, some of our long term strategy. That's uh, that's that, that that's 
really um, where I get involved. Let's talk about Age of Union right now and that uh, donation, $14.5 million to the uh, BC Parks Foundation. Uh, tell me about what, what kind of work you do and why these sorts of environmental donations uh, are, are core to your giving back. Yeah, so um, Age of Union started with a book I wrote called Age of Union in 2019. It's a, it's a, it's a toolkit for um, igniting the change maker. You know, I think we, if, we all, if we all want to see a different planet where we... Where, where humans are where are operating much more in harmony with nature, and we certainly have a long ways to go, um, that I think uh, we all, all have to think as change makers. And so the the projects that uh, Age of Union, which is now a foundation, we call it actually the Age of Union Alliance because it's an alliance of different projects around the world. Um, we started that this last October, with uh, I, and I pledged $40 million um, uh, for the projects we were going to be investing in. Started with five projects. Um, the first five were, you know, here at the St. Lawrence River, uh, restoring the the, the, the floodplains and the riverbanks and buying back some of the farmland and enhancing our, our own river that we see, that I see from my house and, and is five minutes from the Lightspeed office. And uh, we've done a little short film on that that you can watch on uh, on YouTube uh, called We Are the St. Lawrence River. But we've also invested in other places like uh, the Peruvian Amazon, um, Indonesia, um, the Congo and in Haiti. And then we just announced four and a half million dollars for Sea Shepherd to have a vessel that's going to fight illegal fishing, um, you know, off the coast of, uh, of France and in soon Africa. There's a ship now called the Age of Union, which uh, if you go on our social media, you'll see this amazing ship. We just we were just there in France um, filming another documentary on the work that they're doing because a lot of dolphin are being uh, caught in the fishing nets. And I don't think a lot of people are aware. Um, and I think we can change that. And then, of course, that brings us to BC Parks Foundation. I mean, I'm a, a you know, I'm a true blue uh, Montrealer uh, in terms of, you know, I've been here for the last 20 years and, and absolutely, love, absolutely love the city. And it's brought so much to me. I started Lightspeed here. But, you know, my love of nature comes uh, comes a lot from where I was born in, in BC. Um, and, uh, you know, that's na- that's natural beauty that uh, that we have as bountiful across our country. Um, and uh, wanted to make sure there's so many threatened uh, places in BC. Everything's growing so quickly that um, there's places slated for development that are so critical to species. So um, worked with BC Parks Foundation to to come up with this $14.5 million gift. It's the biggest gift in, in BC history for, for conservation. And the first two properties that we're securing, one is an eagle habitat that was slated for development. And literally 35 to 50,000 eagles fly through this area every year on their migration. And there's a thousand resident eagles. And it was, it's surrounded by subdivisions and was going to become another one. And, and we're, we would just can be contributing to the end of eagles if we let that happen. Uh, and then there's another watershed just right outside Vancouver. It's the largest intact watershed with everything from elk to wolves to grizzlies to, and it's, it's, it's a 15-minute float plane ride from Vancouver. It's really, it's also slated for development. And so we need to save these places and we need to get all other tech leaders and business leaders and everyday, everyday Canadians um, rallying for the protection. You know, we want to do 30% of the country, of, the goal is 30 by 30. 30% of the world, uh, the world of, of wilderness and marine areas have to be protected by 2030 or we're going to have a major continued losses on biodiversity. So that's um, that's where we're focused and we're excited that we're working with change makers and all these different projects and telling their stories through little films, but also providing the funding for them to turn the page. I think it's phenomenal. Uh, I want to like step back to to when your your first injection of capital into the company and how that changed the company and, and, mm-hmm. and, and changed the vision of the company. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's very interesting because I now see that when we invest in some of these, um, these, uh, these conservation organizations, jungle keepers, for example, in, in, in the Peruvian Amazon, it's, uh, it's, it's a Canadian, uh, a New Yorker and two Peruvians. And I feel like they look like Lightspeed when Lightspeed got its first um, investment. You know, they have all the all the all the bones there. They have the team. They have the initial. They have the, the you know the beginnings of all the different pieces of their project: a ranger program, a land acquisition program. Uh, you know, all they've got all the different elements, and they just need fuel. You know, to to really um, you know buy, you know secure all the land along the river and uh, and and have a ranger program to protect it. And so, and that's where Lightspeed was in 2012. We had built built up this company with a team of 50 people. Um, uh, you know, we had 400 resellers selling the software all around the world and in all these different countries, um, and got to 10 million in revenue. Um, and we started to get discovered, you know, we didn't go after investment. Um, we, um, you know, we were discovered by, um, Excel, uh, Excel partners that, you know, uh, were the backers of Facebook, of Dropbox and other, other superstars in the, uh, in the tech world. And they, they saw us at a trade show and they saw the future of retail. You know, we were just retail at that moment. And they, they put $30 million into the company um, after about two weeks of discussions. So it was a very unique story. After seven years of, of bootstrapping, um, it was, uh, it was, it was a, an amazing coming together of us and, and this investor. And that just brought other investors. After that, we had a lot of Canadian support. Um, Inovia, which has been an amazing investor, and then a lot of... Uh, a lot of other, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of other Canadian investors like the Castefo. Uh, so uh, that that took that was the next seven years. The next seven years was, um, you know, building this international. You know, uh, we, we we moved all our software into the cloud. We moved into hospitality. Uh, we went really global, um, and uh, that brought us into into getting real scale. We went from being a startup to a scale up, um, and we professionalized the company. And that's uh, that's where we really became. Um, you know, much, much more than the original vision, which was, you know, a software um, on, the, on the Mac. And at the beginning, all I was trying to do was win an Apple Design Award. I wasn't <laughs> trying to build an, an international company. I just wanted to impress Steve Jobs and get a, a, a design award. Um, and I never got one. <laughs> but the, the software was, uh, was pretty beautiful. Um, and that was, the, that was like really honestly my main goal. And, and in the end, um, building, you know, getting that, that, that investment allowed us to build this this international, um, you know, um, global player uh, that's like the go-to for if you're in these segments of retail and hospitality. It's you know you you it's a, we're we're the default choice, which is an amazing place to be. Um, and then that takes us to you know to to that uh, that next step, which is uh, the the IPO. Dax Da Silva, we're going to have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, real quick before you go, I'm curious, uh, just in about 30 seconds, your, your first aha moment as someone who worked in the restaurant industry, who dealt with those printers and the ink and the, the, whole, the whole mess of the point of sale system, what was, what was your aha moment? Uh, the aha moment, um, I think, uh, for me was, you know, as we got our first couple of customers and we decided, like it was 2006, we decided that we were going to um, invite some of the people that are already using the software to come to, much, to Montreal and, and, uh, and learn how to sell it. And we had people, 40, 40 uh, different people from as far as Saudi Arabia and Ireland and all over the US and Australia come to learn how to become a reseller for Lightspeed. And that's when we were only four to four or five people the company and that's when i realized okay people want to sell this everywhere and that was like that was like we are 
going to be multiplying faster than we can manage. <laughs> so that was a, that was the moment where I was like, it was very early, and I thought, wow, okay, we are, we this isn't going to be in, this is in demand. And uh, an extra inspirational edition of the show today with Dax Da Silva. He'll be right back. He'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a few moments. But first, as usual, we go to our experts. Uh, before we get to Patrick, though, Ernie, wow, I mean, what an inspirational <laughs> talk from from Dax. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to find. Uh, an entrepreneur who really bootstrapped something to, to this level. I mean, this is an impressive, impressive venture. The man has vision, you know, and he has vision and he has drive. Combination of vision and drive leads to success. So that's what he did uh, over the course of time, because there's a lot of visionaries who just think of stuff, but just can't do it. So they need a partner. He didn't need that partner. He was his own partner. Sometimes you need a bank as your partner. So before we get to Dax and his one piece of advice that's on the way in just a second, uh, let's bring in our expert. Patrick Sullivan is the president of Le Groupe Fuller-Landau. Patrick, welcome back. Always a pleasure, guys. So, Patrick, now we're heading out of COVID. Uh, Bankers are almost back into their offices. And what can we expect from the bankers, you know, because of all the relief programs that they granted over the course of time? What are the bankers going to do? How are they going to pull in the reins? Okay, well, actually, uh, Ernie, you mentioned bankers are coming back. Yes, they are. Uh, From what I'm hearing off the street is technically everyone's going to be back in physical uh, places come April. What does that mean? Obviously, after two years of struggling in the pandemic, entrepreneurs have had a real rough time. Uh, Today, they're faced with, obviously, their labor force, which is, uh, everybody's seeking labor, uh, everybody's seeking to find the right people, and they're few and far apart. Now, bankers have been extremely tolerant over the last couple of years uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, the government subsidies and loans that were guaranteed uh, helped push these companies uh, into the future, which was we're getting there now, getting out of this pandemic. Uh, But now, back to reality, Uh, bankers are going to be looking closer to their files. Uh, The the boys behind the scene, which we call risk management, are going to be reviewing and analyzing uh, the various loans that have been either supported by government subsidies, uh, granted or extended. They're going to be looking at ratios because a lot of the companies have been in default under the conditions in terms of their engagement to the banks. So what does that mean at the end of the day? Uh, Bankers are going to be seeking answers to their questions, which they have been very lenient uh, during the last couple of years. Uh, For an entrepreneur, what that means is you you guys have to get ready. You have to be ready to uh, face those questions and give the uh, proper answers, obviously giving uh, the truth, which is what is expected by the bankers. Uh, And how do you get ready for that? You you better have uh, your projections ready, your financials up to date, because there's been a lot of laxism. Uh, You know, oh, my controller has COVID. Uh, All the reasons in the world not to provide the timely information to your banker. But this is all going to come to an end. Uh, and it's it's going to come fast because everybody's expecting, you know, we're at a record low in terms of insolvency matters over the last two years. 
uh, a record low of almost 30 years. And uh, professionals like I am uh, are expecting uh, a big inflow of work come this fall uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, people are going to be in default. There's going to be uh, a lot of forbearance agreements that are going to come into play. Bangor is going to be seeking a lot more uh, external consultants to go and validate the information that they basically have not received in the last couple of years. Basically, the the, the borrowers should re, should react by being organized and being ready to go and being ready to be questioned about some of the stuff that they didn't provide or didn't or weren't asked to provide over the past couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, I want to ask you about one last thing, which is ghost companies. What what's a ghost company? Well, basically, I've seen a lot more ghost companies come into play in the last couple of years. Ghost companies basically are companies where entrepreneurs uh, couldn't make it anymore, uh, decided to lock it up, go home, and just leave it hanging there. Uh, and there's there's quite a few of those around now uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, the uh, the suppliers weren't pressuring anymore or very little because they were under their own pressure. And, uh, you know, when there's no more cash flow, how can you operate? So at some point, if the entrepreneur cannot reinvest in his business, doesn't see any future for it, uh, in many cases, they normally would, would turn to an insolvency professional and say, okay, let's foreclose the company, let's either bankrupt it and move on. Instead of that, they basically just lock it up and go home and wait for somebody else to do it for them. Interesting. Patrick Sullivan, president of Group Full of Landau. Thanks so much for joining us again, Patrick. Always a pleasure. And as we approach the end of our show, let's turn to Dax Da Silva, founder of Lightspeed, and ask him for his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, sir. Yeah, so I think for me, it's focus. Um, and the way that the, the way that I got focus uh, was writing a business plan. Uh, we had some early grants. And then we were, we were like forced to write a business plan in order to get our grant. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'll never look at this thing again. Uh, so, but there, you know, we had to submit a three-year business plan and that really made me write down on paper what we were actually going to do. Because when you're starting a business, there's so many possibilities. There's so many different things you can do. A lot of things to get excited about. But when you write it down and then you write the second piece, which is a, the spreadsheet part of the three-year progression, um, that helps you actually really focus on what you're going to do. And what we actually wrote down in that business plan was still the mission of what we do today. Um, and we, uh, we, we were a little bit off on that first year projections, but we hit the second number, the second year projections on the nose and the third year we exceeded it. So a little bit of focus and a little bit of planning at the beginning can really, um, I think, make the difference uh, and, and, not make, not, and help you not waste time on a lot of distractions. Dax Da Silva, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you again. Ernie, uh, final thoughts on this uh, really inspirational edition of Today's Entrepreneur? I'm just flabbergasted just by listening to the story. And, 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 and you know, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to, to, to hear because you don't hear that very often. And, and it's, it, it, today, his advice is, is perfect. You know, at the beginning, focus at the beginning, do it. That's what has to be because if you don't focus there, you're not going to start anything. Dax, thank you so much. And especially on behalf of Montreal Accountants, thank you very much for your work as well. Thank you for having me. And Ernie, just a really inspirational uh, talk today from Dax Da Silva, who has really crossed a whole other threshold as an entrepreneur and, uh, and now taking a step back to look at the bigger picture. Just a really incredible story. 
That was a great show. I'm very impressed. Uh, love the pro- love the company. Uh, love the guy. It was just a phenomenal listening to him. And people can learn a heck of a lot from a man like that. Yeah, do catch up if you can uh, on todaysentrepreneur.org. Uh, you can re-listen to it on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or Spotify, your favorite platform. And uh, don't forget to tune in next time as well. Ernie, thanks so much for joining us on this uh, very special show. I enjoyed this show extremely. And Ernie, next week, Mike is back, and we'll be chatting with Maxime Moray, the co-founder of a very different business, Rose Buddha. It's a trendy clothing and accessory manufacturer. They're all about ethical and benevolent values, slowing down the manufacturing process uh, to stay true to themselves. So a very interesting business on the way. We'll see you back here next week. Good talk.